Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer, coming to you as always from the farmhouse here on Cat Swamp Road, Alamucci, New Jersey, Warren County. And hopefully uh, the sound of my voice has everything going well for you in your farm or ranch operation and in your life, right? Because um, the whole, the collectively, it's the whole big picture. I had an interesting past couple of days or past week i should say since we got together our kitten alley uh that that my wife found when we were harvesting corn someone dumped her at the farm stand she was in the hedgerow and you may remember that story and she's a she's a good little girl and we have don we have donald and he was uh, a cat that we found by the chicken coop two years ago and he's a he's a wonderful wonderful boy wonderful cat and then we have this little alley but the past week or so both don and ali are indoor outdoor cats but they both sleep inside at night so they're free to go in and out sometimes too many times a thousand times a day it seems like i'm nothing but i, I spend more time being a cat doorman and like my wife says it's musical cats one comes in another one goes out and then both are out and both are in and uh, i need to have a one of those uh, electric doors for them but anyway so uh they both sleep in at night which is wonderful excuse me my nose is already giving me a problem and uh, but the past week ali has been going out in the morning and has been gone for 13 14 hours and she's not coming in till 10 30 10 10 30 11 o'clock at night and that really messes up my sleep schedule because I get up at a quarter after four in the morning and I'm used to going to bed between nine and nine thirty. I mean, I should really go to bed a little bit earlier, but usually about nine fifteen. And if I'm up till eleven o'clock at night standing out in the dark yelling calling her, that's not that good. And I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't really recuperated from the uh, respiratory infection because I'm not getting enough sleep, but that's I'm not gonna blame her for that. But anyway, so the other day she goes out in the morning, and she didn't go out too early, maybe 7, 30, about 8.30 in the morning. That's usually when she goes up at 8.30, between 8.30 and 9.30. And uh, she disappears for 37 hours. My wife and I were heartbroken, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm walking the whole farm, calling her, looking for a Don. Don stayed out one whole night looking for her and uh, we're, we're praying that the good lord would bring her home to us i mean she's only about six months old and um well then don was gone all night and we couldn't find don but then he came back thank god and then ali came back just the other night and at five minutes to nine at night so she was gone for almost 38 hours straight so today she's down here with me because just last night she came in so she's down here with me in where my where I record and she's not she's not going out today she has a litter box down here she's got food she's got toys and uh she's not being she's not being punished but I can't have a repeat of her going away for 37 hours so uh that's really not that good so uh <coughs> excuse me so the reason why I'm telling you that is that if you hear her come and she meows and she figures well <coughs> excuse me i'm gonna you know daddy's on a microphone so i can meow and then he'll give me what i want so i'm gonna have tough love with her today tough love with ali the alligator and she's looking at me because i'm saying a name which i gotta stop saying a name because then she's gonna come here but anyway i gotta give some shout outs it's, i got some pins in my map and as you know when you when you reach out to me and tell me where you listen from that you will be in the drawing for a hot rod farmer license plate and hopefully god willing they'll be coming in in the next few weeks and then i could start to pull names and i could uh, send those out to the winners and as i say every week uh everyone's name goes into the box it doesn't make any difference when you contacted me and every and i really shouldn't say this eventually everybody's gonna win all right so but i need to have your name or ali just jumped up you're not gonna win ali just don't go by don't knock the microphone over like you did last time all right so and all you have to do is email me at hot rod farmer 
at farmmachinerydigest.com. So now the first name that I have to enter today that I put a pin in my map and the pin is in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it's for John, J-O-N, Pulver. And he was nice enough to contact me to let me know that my On the Road podcast, On the Road to to Bob Idup, uh, wasn't playing. There was some sort of technical issue. So thank you so much, John, for reaching out to me and telling me that. And then Susan Moore, my web person, immediately, immediately got on that and corrected it. So thank you, John. So he's got a pin. We got a pin in the map now for Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then Mr. Andy Lindsay, another Pennsylvania guy. He lives out in Freeport, Pennsylvania, and he's a longtime listener to the podcast. But uh, I guess he didn't reach out to me to put a pin in the map. And then there's Mr. Dave Kivioja, Kivioya, I think you pronounce his name, and he's from Maryland, and he too is a relatively long-time listener to the podcast, and he is in the drawing for the Hot Rod Farmer license plate. So I put up two pins in Pennsylvania this week and one pin, excuse me, in Maryland. <clears throat> and then a shout-out to Ken Bailey, and I already have a pin in my map for him, but he is from Sydney, Montana, and he just sent me, he was listening to the radio show the other day on Saturday, and he jumped on his phone, he sent me an email and said, howdy, and he's from Montana, but he was moving some oil field equipment to Tioga, North Dakota, as he was listening, so I told him, I'll put a pin in Tioga because you were there for a delivery, so uh, I don't know if Ken listens to the podcast, but he does listen to the radio show. So I want to thank all of you gentlemen for this and for the more for the additional pins in my map. And that map, you know, it's getting filled up, but there's a lot of room there yet. And I know for a fact, and I've said this before, that we have listeners all around the world, and I say that humbly, but uh, emails, email is free, right? So I would like to get some pins in my map, my world map, not just my North America map. So please just email me and tell me where you hail from, where you listen from, and I will put you in that drawing for that Hot Rod Farmer license plate. I don't care where I have to send it. I'll, if you win, I will send it to you. So that is that. Let me see what else is going on. <clears throat> By the time this show drops on Wednesday, I don't know when you'll listen to it, but I, God willing, will be in New Orleans at Commodity Classic. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the event. I'm going to be going to the corn growers, uh, uh, the, the corn growers banquet, uh, National Corn Growers Association banquet. So I'm looking forward to that and looking forward to to uh, to just uh, enjoy Commodity Classic. All I'm going to do is be walking around. I'm not working. I'm not putting on any presentations. I'm not on the main stage as I've done in the past. I'm not working anybody's booth. I'm just going to be Ray the Farmer walking around there so i'm looking forward looking forward to that and uh not too much looking forward to the flight but uh, to me i mean even though i love the sensational flight if you've listened to my show before you know that i i dreamt about being an air force fighter pilot but today to me the airlines are like worse than a greyhound bus so who knows but that, that's the only thing i have to endure in my life that i should get on my knees and i should thank god for that so that is that, and let me see what else is going on. Uh, okay, the, the the months are marching on, right? Pretty soon we'll be getting into spring. It's actually very, very warm here today. It's 71 degrees, and but it's going to get uh, more back to normal while I am away. I think the next, it's going to get down to 19, 18, 19 degrees in the morning, but it was 56 degrees this morning when I woke up. So at 4.15 in the morning, it was beautiful but you know as that's something else i wanted to say which is just you know, just rambling here but i i look at i look at all of you as my my family so uh, it's like i want to catch up with i didn't get a chance to talk to you for a week but uh the truck stop uh diesel fuel where i go to the ta truck stop five dollars and 17 cents a gallon and right here in hackettstown when i went to town in the morning for breakfast five o'clock in the morning uh gas was at the one gas station by where i go to have breakfast was 396 and then when i came home an hour and a half later it was 429 and obviously wouldn't dine but it's never 396 it's 396.9 or 429.9 so it's uh 
totally getting out of control. But what was interesting, unscientific, unscientific observation, it was about 56 degrees at the truck stop this morning when I was there based upon the thermometer in my car. And uh, unscientific, I would say 45% of the trucks in the parking lot in the truck lot were, were idling. And you would tend to think that, I mean, at 56 degrees, you don't need to run the heater in the bunk. And uh, if you have a good blanket and what have you, and it's warm in there. So, but at $5.17 a gallon, it just seems, the funny part about it that I've seen, and I said to my wife, is that back in 2008, when the fuel spiked up to near $4 a gallon, there was such a drastic change in the people's habits their driving habits you have somebody says i'm i'm trading in this suv they would lose twenty five, thirty thousand dollars to to trade in a suv on uh on whatever prius or something because they don't want to spend 350 gallon for gasoline <coughs> excuse me and uh and i remember one uh one gentleman i know and he says, I'm stopping going to the gym because it's 10 miles each way and my truck only gets 10 miles per gallon. It's costing me $7 to go back and forth to the gym. And uh, people are doing all these things. You'd have somebody in the news say, well, I'm not going to go see grandma. Now, today, the gasoline and the diesel fuel is much higher, <clears throat> excuse me, than it was in 2008. And the people seem to be going like maniacs up and down the road. The trucks are idling. The guy's going into the truck stop for coffee. And uh, to go to the restroom, he leaves the truck idling, $5.17 a gallon. So I don't know. I don't know if it didn't hit him yet, or I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy dynamic. And I'm not the type of person that says that just stop living because the fuel went up. But to leave a truck idle for an hour when you're going in for a cup of coffee that is, is, is foolishness, even if you're getting the diesel fuel for free. So whatever, we'll see how this plays out. I know my friend Gene Worst texted me a picture he's over in las vegas he's a listener to the show and had him had mentioned his name his name a couple of times and i guess out there in las vegas uh high test was 509 a gallon but it's not that different here so it's probably close high fours here so we'll see what goes on see which way it's gonna head but uh it's gonna be interesting <clears throat> nothing more i could say about it but all right we're gonna what is the topic of today's show i think 12 minutes into it you're probably saying all right hot rod shut up already tell us what the show is going to be about and what i am going to talk about is low hours or slash miles versus high hours high miles when buying a used piece of equipment and i'm you saying used piece of equipment because with the metric of hours or miles it could be a road vehicle or it could be a farm piece of farm equipment so I'm going to discuss that because, you know, there was back, I think 1964, Jan and Dean, and I always thought it was the Beach Boys because they sound so much alike. But until I got my my car with the serious satellite radio that tells you what the song is and who did it, I always thought it was the Beach Boys. Did the little old lady from Pasadena, right? And in uh, 1964, she had a super stock Dodge 426. That must have been a cross ram with a four speed. And uh, she was over there in Pasadena, and she had this shiny red super stock Dodge parked in a rickety old garage, right? She used to go out in Colorado Boulevard and race everybody. So I don't know how the term little old, little old lady from Pasadena came out. I would tend to think that it was a, a phrase that was prior to the song. I don't think the song was the catalyst for for that, but I may be wrong. But so many times you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, oh, I bought this car, I bought this truck, I bought this tractor. And um, you know, people don't say little lady from Pasadena anymore, but used to be, oh, they only use it to go to church on Sunday. And <clears throat> to many people, uh, conventional wisdom, and oftentimes in life conventional wisdom does not fly, but they would think that this was wonderful because it was this car that the little old lady metaphorically only used to go to church or used to go to the supermarket. And and it has as has, has month, months on it, has years on it, but not much mileage. And conversely, you could get somebody with a, with a piece of farm equipment, say, oh, I bought this tractor from this, I bought this, whatever it may be, <clears throat> from this gentleman farmer and 
all he did he used it to move some hay bales around for his cows or for his horses and uh and doesn't have a lot of hours on it so my question to you is that what do you think what do you think about the the miles hours low high miles low high hours conundrum is it better to buy a piece of equipment that has very low hours or very low miles over the years or something that was used more often so that's what we're going to get into today but what i'm going to do is i'm not just going to give you my opinion on this i'm going to also give you some facts and substantiate what i'm hopefully saying and then you can make your decision whether you like low hours low miles or high hours high miles or someplace maybe in between right hit the middle of the road hey alligator the alligator just came up here hey Ali, the alligator hopefully she's going to be good She's going near my soundboard in the past. She stepped on it and messed up the whole show. And then we have a letter, and the letter is from George Asset. Asset, I think it, I would pronounce it. And uh, it doesn't say where he's from. But anyway, and he has an older John Deere 4020 with a gas engine, and it's burning up the breaker points. So that's going to be our special delivery letter. But let's get into the main crux of today's show. And... Uh, Allie is looking at me. She's got a she's got a look on her face like she wants to do something, and that's uh, here she comes. So, alrighty. So now is <clears throat> let's let's start to talk about the difference between low hours. Well, let's put low use, high use instead of me keep repeating hours and miles. And oftentimes. <clears throat> I said if you were to talk to people that they would brag that they bought this piece of equipment or this vehicle and it didn't get much didn't have much use on it so what happens to a to a to a, a piece of equipment and i'm going to use the word equipment so i want to encompass everything the engine the transmission and whether it's a farm farm piece of farm equipment or if it is a road vehicle and try to bring it all together even though there are unique things for instance i say like a combine or a sprayer on a farm a combine or a sprayer obviously is not going to be used all year round unless you're a custom applicator or even if you're a custom applicator but a custom cutter you could use it much longer because you could start down in texas to wheat harvest and go all the way up to the, the central part of the country the great plains into canada and can keep chasing the wheat harvest but still you'd probably be maybe only use it six seven eight months out of the year so it's not going to be used 12 months out of the year or you could have a uh, a semi right and you have this semi that you've only predominantly used during harvest and it sits most of the time the rest of the year <clears throat> and then conversely you could have a semi or you could have a, a, a regular a car or pickup truck that's used every day but then we also have to break it down <clears throat> because even though it's used every day we have to examine what kind of use it is so hopefully i could get into all of that in a timely fashion today well ideally the best type of or the best use a piece of equipment can see and i'm going to give it to you in generalities is to be used very often and to be used for a length of time uh to be used for a duty cycle i'll say a length of time that it allows it to come to full operating temperature the oil comes to full operating temperature is in a steady state and also uh, will maintain that operating temperature for at least 25 minutes to a half hour so that is the ideal right everything in life can't and most people can't meet that ideal so for instance if you live five miles away from where you work well you're never going to meet that ideal unless you go 30 miles around the other way to go to work which is not practical All right so that is the best case scenario and why is that the best case scenario for a number of reasons it is only going through a minimal amount of complete warm-up cycles and this is for gasoline or diesel makes no difference if it's a if it's a minivan or a combine so you go into a minimum amount of warm-up cycles and the thing is that on an engine there is excessive there is an excessive amount of wear or i shouldn't say excessive exponentially is a more accurate way for me to say it amount of wear when an engine is cold and when it's warm and then when it's at operating temperature and then also as it 
you need to be able to transition from cold to full operating temperature as quickly as possible. And that's why I said to add nauseum many times on this show that you do not want to idle an engine to temperature, specifically a diesel, because it builds heat too slowly and you're exposing it to an excessive amount of wear. So if you have that, so the warm-up cycle is the one thing that we have to be concerned with because not only are you going to have excessive wear specifically in the ring package up against the cylinder wall you're not going to see excessive amount of wear in the bearings or the valves <coughs> or the camshaft but the ring package in the cylinder walls where you're going to see that and also the ring package and the cylinder wall is going to be exposed to the combustible mixture and on a gasoline engine a spark ignition engine when it is called the mixture whether it's fuel injected or carbureted it's irrelevant the mixture is much richer than it would be normally once it's at operating temperature and then on a diesel you need to establish that reaction zone and the reaction zone is where the the heat from the from the burn mixture travels into the unburned region and in essence in simplistic terms warms the whole bore uh, the, the whole cylinder bore, the whole atmosphere there. So when you start a diesel engine, and it's called specifically an older diesel, is that it usually runs very raggy, and it may run, depending upon the ambient temperature, it'll run raggy for maybe a minute, two minutes, three minutes, because what's happening is that the flame is actually expanding, and it's hitting this cold region, and in this cold region, part of the flame is starting to quench starting to go out but keep in mind when that flame quenches and that flame goes out that you still have a fuel and air mixture in the bore and that fuel and air mixture instead of being burned the air is not a problem it's the fuel is going to wash the oil off the cylinder walls go past the ring package and go into the into the engine oil and on a gasoline engine the rich mixture is going to do the same thing not because of reaction zone even though a reaction zone to a, a reaction zone happens so quickly in a gasoline engine that it's really not even worth talking about the reaction zone is more prevalent in the diesel engine because it's it's com, it's compression ignition and ignition through heat versus ignition through artificially being induced through the arcing of a spark plug and as i was saying a minute ago <clears throat> specifically an older engine older diesel engine is because a more modern let's say a tier four tier four style diesel engine tier four being the emissions package uh, they historically keep either the glow plugs or the intake air heater or sometimes both evoked during that early uh running time those first few seconds of running so that the reaction zone could be established quicker so if you have a brand new farm tractor combine something with a diesel engine pickup truck versus an older one that doesn't that's a pump line nozzle or maybe even something let's say like a um a uh a early power stroke with a huey type of injector or a cat with a huey type of injector is that that still was very sensitive to the reaction zone being established whereas you could start a brand new 2022 whatever four dodge whatever john Deere cummins uh pickup engine and and it's gonna basically not have that uh inefficient combustion event waiting for the reaction zone to be established so that is that no so in essence that is why the engine that goes through one warm-up cycle and then drives for a while is going to have much better use because on a, a gasoline engine you're not going to be exposing it that long to the uh, rich mixture to start to wash the oil off the cylinder walls and and in like fashion on a diesel the reaction zone is going to be established and you're going to have a limited amount of time where the diesel fuel is actually washing the oil off the cylinder walls so that is that is that as far as that is concerned the next thing that makes the ideal driving scenario use scenario is that i said steady state and something about steady state that i want to establish and it doesn't mean that you have to have steady state as far as you know have the throttle locked on cruise control or if it's a piece of farm equipment but the less transitions uh that the end the less transient operation the engine has specifically if it's going to be a short period of time the less wear it's going to see this really has nothing to do with deposits or wear on the cylinder wall even though every time you do modulate the throttle 
that the mixture is going to go richer to compensate for that. But you know the the engine that that spends more time steady state and on a road vehicle that would be highway mileage instead of all around town or stop and go in the city. And um, what happens is that when you are steady state, there are things that do not wear. And I'm going to talk about the whole machine, the whole vehicle, all right, as much as they do when there's a lot of transient operation. For instance, let's say like the timing belt and timing chain, but specifically a timing belt, but timing chain also, is that when you, every time you have a change in RPM, that chain that's going to run the cam from the crankshaft or that belt is going to stretch and then relax, stretch and relax. So it's going to be loaded and unloaded, loaded and unloaded. So if you were to take arguably an engine, whatever it is, and you want to say it is, and it's got a timing belt, a rubber timing belt in it, which is very, very common the past 30, 40 years, specifically on a smaller engine, is that, uh, and you were to put 100,000 miles on it, predominantly on the highway i'm not gonna say that you never went off the highway all right but you know that it was more of a highway use vehicle at a steady state speed and the thing is that that timing belt would have a lot less and i'm not going to use the word wear because wear is usually quantified by by the grooves or that where how, how the cogs ride in the gear or what have you but it's going to have a lot less stress put on it and it's going to have a lot less deflection because it wasn't being stretched and released, stretched and released. And every time that you uh, step on the throttle, you're going to change the load on the belt to accelerate, and the belt is going to, I'm not going to use the word flex, but it's going to, to absorb that, and then it's going to release it. So it's going to be working back and forth. And the same thing is with a timing chain. And that, uh, granted, it's probably not going to be as sensitive as a belt, but most belts have an automatic tensioner, whereas most timing chains do not. They may have some have some semblance of a tensioner. But over time, that chain is going to stretch much more. So if you were to have an engine that's a steady, relatively steady state, I keep repeating it, relatively steady state versus one that, that's got the same amount of hours or miles but has a lot of transient operation, you would look at engine A that had the transient operation, same brand, same everything, and the timing chain would have a lot more slop in it and a lot more uh, wear, stretch, I should say. It's not necessarily the rollers are going to be worn, but the, 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 the chain is going to stretch more than the engine that had the, the same amount of running time or hours and it was relatively steady state. So that's something to keep in mind. So you could say, hey, you know, I bought this XYZ, <clears throat> you know, a little old lady from Pasadena going to church and she just used it around town. She got 20,000 miles, she used it around town. Well, she'd been in and out of that throttle, whatever, a godzillion times at 20,000 miles and that timing chain and that timing belt has been stretching and relaxing, stretching and relaxing and it's really loading and unloading would be the proper term, not stretching and relaxing and ultimately comes up with stretch because of that. The other thing basically is think about it and with an application with an automatic transmission. For instance, I could get on the highway with my little Fiesta, even though it's a, a dual clutch, but it drives like an automatic, but let's assume it has an automatic and fully irregular automatic transmission. And I could go whatever to Ohio. And, you know, maybe three, four, five hours from now, I stop and get gas and go to the restroom or stop for lunch. But let's say for those five hours, that transmission is in sixth gear and staying right there. Now, my wife with her Ford Escape, who goes to the, goes down to Bloomfield as a school teacher and sits in traffic, all right? So let's say her, my, my car has more than double the mileage that she has, but she probably has six times the amount of shifts on her transmission <clears throat> than I do because this thing is shifting all day long. She's in bumper to bumper traffic, slowing down, speeding up. She's on side streets. So that's something to keep in mind. So when you're thinking about... Uh, you know, not only don't think about just hours slash miles, what kind of use did that particular vehicle, that particular application see? Because if you were, so 100,000 miles or, or let's say a, whatever, 1,000 hours of use 
uh, for something like my wife is doing, or let's say you're feeding cattle with it, all right, you, or you're um, you're running a piece of, you're running a piece of equipment, you're buying a, a a backhoe, used backhoe for the farm, and this thing is always it's going forward, backwards, forward, backwards, forward, backwards, right? Or like a skid steer, right? I mean, skid steer that's it's it's design in life to go forward and backwards, but I'm just using that as an example. So keep in mind when you look to buy something used, all right, or or are you looking to put something into use? You could, you could be buying it new. Is that you're going to have an exponential amount of wear in a lot of those components because it is it is not going in one direction, or it is or it is it is slowing down and speeding up. So and back when I back in '99, well '98, I bought myself my little Escort, and a couple of months later, I bought my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife yet. She was going to be my wife in a month or two. I bought her a present, a brand new ZX2, Ford ZX2, which basically is a two-door Escort. The only difference was the ZX2 had a different engine. and I had the, the two-valve engine, and she had a four-valve engine, a ZTEC engine. She had more power than my Escort sedan did. But everything else was the same. The brakes were the same. The transmissions were the same. The alternator was the same, other than whatever was particular to that engine. All the other parts stayed the same. And that I would be able to get five or six times the use out of a component. And and both of those cars were excellent. They were by no means were they problematic, no means whatsoever. But the thing is that uh, I would get five or six times the use out of a component, say, like the brushes in the alternator. And then I would go 200,000 miles 200 210,000 miles and then i have to put brushes in the alternator never put an alternator just put brushes on my wife's car she would go maybe 50,000 miles and i have to put brushes in the alternator so what does that have to do with it well it was because of the type of driving she did that the engine was accelerating when the engine was accelerating the dynamics of the way the brush would ride the tension of the brush onto the slip ring on the alternator she would have a lot of starts and stops so there was a lot of juice pulled out of the battery or that real technical term juice right pulled out of the battery and then had to recharge because she'd be shutting the car off many times during the course of the day versus i'd be on the car going in the car going to ohio so all of all of all of that comes into play another thing to think to think about just as far as tires are concerned that if you do a lot of if, if you do a lot of on a road vehicle a lot of starting and stopping and around town driving and what i'm saying that because you're making tighter turns than you would on the highway you're not going to be going down the highway and make a right angle turn even though you're not burning rubber that this thing couldn't even burn rubber all right if it wanted to that you bring up you're going to have except you're going to have more wear per mile on a set of tires than you would on a vehicle that's predominantly running steady state and on a highway. The thing is that you have to realize that every time that you pull away from a stop on with a tire is that the drive wheels are gripping. Even though it's not slipping, it's still gripping and, it's, and it has a, a slightly uh, higher amount of wear. Uh, when, you're, when you're stopping, even though the brakes are doing the stopping, you're not skidding, the, 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 uh, the rubber squishes a little and it changes its dynamics of the way it wears but you're making turns you're going to you're going to the corner make a left make a right make a left like you do <coughs> in t- <coughs> excuse me in town all day long that's going to have an excessive amount of wear on the tires so a person who runs steady state on the highway may get then again <coughs> my wife's car same car same brand tires same size tires two door versus four door my wife is a very easy driver all right the thing is that on my escort i was getting 110 111,000 miles 112,000 miles out of a set of tires the exact same tire on my wife's car like i said nothing different other than her driving dynamics maybe 50 55,000 miles then the tire would be, would be worn to the point it wouldn't be down to the tread bars it would be worn to the point that i didn't feel safe that she would have <clears throat> driving it and i would buy her new tires so all of that you know all of that comes into play now the uh the other thing getting back to the engines and the transmissions but specifically the engines is that why it's so important so to look at low hours low hours low miles high hours high miles is that when an, when an engine sits 
that there was always going to be at least one intake valve open and one exhaust valve open, regardless of how many cylinders it is. So if the engine sits a lot, it's not used that much, it's cyclical use, you use it a lot during the summertime or whatever, but you don't use it, not use much the rest of the year, that, that, that there is always moisture wicking into a cylinder. It's going to probably be a different cylinder every time that you shut the engine off, but there's going to be also always moisture wicking into that cylinder that over time it's going to be attacking that cylinder. Well, now I'm not going to say it's going to be pitted overnight, but all of this stuff is cumulative. So now you have this little old lady from Pasadena, right? It's not the super stock Dodge. She's got this whatever, this uh, Buick. And, you know, so so she didn't use it much. She used it once a week to go to church for two miles and go to the supermarket and go to the doctor. And then depending on then where you live, maybe if you lived in Arizona, it's not that much of a problem. But if you live in Louisiana, where there's a high level of humidity, then that, that engine was always wicking moisture in. I mean, it's going to wick moisture in through the intake system also. <clears throat> but through the intake and exhaust you're always wicking moisture whereas if you had an engine that was used more frequently it would still have the moisture wicked in but it wouldn't be sitting there all of the time just absorbing having this 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 moisture uh just attack everything uh now the other thing basically is that <clears throat> you want to potentially try to analyze on this purchase of a used piece of equipment a used vehicle is that how many heat soaks it went through and i'm you know i've spoken about heat soak many times on this show and what heat soak is is the elevated underhood temperature when the engine is shut off and you may say to yourself well how can it be elevated under the temperature when the engine is shut off it's not burning any fuel well it's because the heat has the cooling system is no longer working so everything underneath the hood increases in temperature the cylinder head the casting the engine block anything that's bolted to it the alternator the ignition wires <clears throat> the sensors anything else and that's why i'm a big proponent of letting the engine idle for 30 40 seconds a minute and then open shutting it off and opening the hood whether it's a farm tractor or whether it's your car to let the heat out because if you let that heat out it's not going to have as much of a <coughs> excuse me thermal spike the term we use in engineering is a thermal excursion it's a trip so a trip up to real high temperature and come down and those thermal excursions during heat soak are really what deteriorates everything underneath the hood and whether I get then again, whether it's a tractor or whether it's a car, it's irrelevant. So if you have a person arguably that does a lot of shorter trips instead of the longer steady state, so they go five, six miles to town, it's it's it's, it's more than operating temperature underneath the hood everything is warmed up that's great we're boiling the moisture off the oil that's all good all right we have our reactions on started a long time ago for the diesel we went we you know, we're not washing the, the oil off the cylinder walls on a gas or diesel but now you go into town and you and you go into the store 15 20 minutes uh whatever in store for a half hour hour whatever it may be and the thing is that now everything under the hood is starting to cook now you get back out in the car and you drive another 20 minutes someplace else it, it gets it gets back under high under temperatures or normal under temperature you shut the car off the shut the engine off whatever it may be i'm saying the car the engine off and uh it's going through another heat soak cycle so the thing is that lots of times shorter trip of engines or shorter trip duty cycles are going to see ex, ex, a, a many more heat cycles than it would a guy who's driving from New Jersey to Oklahoma would because the, the person is shutting it on and off many, many times. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that day, but during the course of the vehicle, the vehicle's life. So it's going to see all of these heat soaks and these heat soaks over time uh, create, create damage. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They dry out ignition wires. They dry out wires, sensors. A lot of uh, cylinder heads specifically on larger diesel engines have a propensity to crack. And usually they're, crack, they're cracking due to the exposure, thermal excursion that is happening during the heat soak condition. So if you usually look at those engines, that they're engines that were, went through a lot of heat soak cycles, even though they may have been run 
for a longer period of time when they did run but that that is something to come into play also so getting back to you know the the uh the little old lady from pasadena whether she has a shiny red dodge or a farm tractor if it's going through a lot of heat cycles heat cycles so you may be looking at this piece of equipment and you come and say this oh man this thing's only got twenty thousand miles it's five years old six years old this thing's only got so many hours it's got a thousand hours what i would do is i would query the the seller if possible to see what um yeah i mean i could have come to the person how many heat soaks you have on this i mean i i'm a wacko right i would i would probably say that but you know you're not going to say that but you're going to kind of glean from the use that they that they gave the piece of equipment or the vehicle whether it went through a lot of thermal cycles so when you go through all of these thermal cycles is that those parts are going to age quicker so now you bought this this piece of equipment with x amount of hours or with thirty thousand miles and then you keep it at two years and you put another thirty forty thousand miles i said oh my god look at this you know it needs a water pump already at seventy thousand miles i'm never buying one of these over here a piece of junk or look at that the uh <clears throat> the alternator went already that's because you're cooked it was cooked so many times so that is something that you really really need to to acknowledge and you know and you could acknowledge that with your own equipment i mean you buy something new all right to try to limit those thermal cycles and those heat soaks is definitely going to help to help everything now um another another thing to come in mind with both gasoline and diesel engines is the type of use it has is historically going to be one of the components that are going to add up as far as creating carbon deposits on the pistons the valves and on the injectors both gasoline and diesel because not only when we're going through those heat soak cycles are we degrading everything but those heat soak cycles are perfect perfect for baking on carbon deposits and whether it's carbon deposits on the pintle of a pump line nozzle the nozzle of an older diesel in diesel uh, engine or a modern gasoline engine or gasoline direct injection engine or what have you so it's going to be that's the perfect scenario get it wet shut it off bake it get it wet shut it off bake it and if anybody you know knows somebody it's a mason right they say the best thing when you put cement down is to uh, concrete or so they tell me is to keep it moist and you and you want to be able to slow down you slow down the curing process by keeping it moist so the thing is that when you're going with all of these these cycles these short trip cycles and these these short duty cycles and these heat soaks these thermal excursions you're cooking all those those byproducts of combustion onto the piston the valve the injector uh the ring package if it's there so all of that adds up and then again i'm repeating it once more exponentially you take an engine that the person could have done everything right but just because of the use the way it's the way the way the way it's used i mean i'll use my sister for example i mean she doesn't go more than three or four miles shut it off go three or four miles shut it off and you know so she's going through a lot of a lot of heat cycles uh in the summertime worse than in the winter because in the winter she lives up in buffalo new york so she probably wouldn't build that much heat in three or four miles but you have to remember we're talking about the heat that's on the piston crown not the heat that's coming out of the heater duct all right so the piston crown is just as hot on a cold winter day when she went four miles as it is on a summer day so you're still having that same dynamic effect and then again that ages everything a lot more than the odometer or the proof meter on a piece of equipment would kind of lend itself to have you think that it does so um the other thing that that i i wanted to say is that keep in mind that a lot of short trip cycles like that and a lot of a lot of uh, heating and cool down will put more moisture in the oil and will degrade the oil faster so if somebody has and if they even if they were the most fastidious person as far as maintenance is concerned they said okay the book says i'm going to change your oil every 7500 miles or i'm going to you know attract the, the track the book says i'm going to change oil every 100 hours that's what the manual says right from new holland or, or Kubota or whoever it is but if that person did a lot of short oh i'm going to move this bale of hay and shut it off move this bale of hay shut it off and did all of this then that oil that's what's considered severe duty and then the that oil is going to have a lot of moisture and a lot of 
pollution in it, pollution meaning fuel and also a lot of moisture and those acids from the combustion are going to create sludge and you're going to have a higher rate of wear on everything that that oil lubricates. Uh, bearings, cylinder wall, camshaft lifters, <clears throat> crankshaft, I mean everything because what's happening is that you're breaking that oil down a lot quicker. So I just wanted to try to establish here, I couldn't go through everything and so as we as, as i as i come to close this section of the show and go into the special delivery letter you know i want to give you something of value here hopefully as i can make sense of this you know the intended use is the intended use so we can't do anything about that the thing basically is is that when you go and you look to buy a used piece of equipment or a used vehicle i think it's very important for you to look how the previous owner employed that vehicle or that piece of equipment because if they employed it in a way because of the intended use that they purchased it for all right then you need to be cognizant of that and you need to be accepting of and say hey you know i'm not going to bad mouth this brand or bad mouth this tractor or this truck at seventy thousand miles if the water pump starts to leak or if the valve cover gasket starts to leak or this starts to happen because the the person who i bought it from it didn't have a lot of hours it didn't have a lot of miles on it whatever it may be but they went through a lot of thermal cycles. They went through a lot of they went through a lot of uh, short duty cycles. Went through a lot of heat soaks. You buy this piece of equipment, <clears throat> and you say, "My God, you know, you know." As I was saying before, that the timing belt is excessively worn. The chain is excessive. Timing chain is worn. You know, keep that in mind. So, what I'm trying to basically do is to tell you, do not that as a as an engine guy as a car guy as a machinery guy if you said to me and i'm going to use my fiesta as an example let's say let's say there was two fiestas well, let's use my old escorts as even a better example you had mine i retired mine at four hundred fifty-eight thousand miles because it rusted out not because anything was wrong with it the rust the rust rust got to it succumbed to rust my wife's still has her old zx2 and she uses it for a round town car my escort had four hundred fifty-eight thousand miles back in 2013 and sadly it's been parked for nine years now which is frightening 2013 my wife's car she has a new escape which we kept the old car and then just today i went to town to get some fee but has 183,000 miles so forgetting about the rust on my car and let's say that they were both five years old or six years old. Would I rather have, a, a, or 10 years old, would I rather have a 10-year-old car with 183,000 miles on it or a 10-year-old car with 458,000 miles on it that were both taken care of by the same person using the same products, the same synthetic oil, everything? I would rather have the one with 458,000 miles on it because the one with 458,000 miles on it, if you were to take it apart and take apart the transmission, I had probably one-tenth the shifts on my automatic transmission that she had. All right, if it was a manual transmission, which it's not, you have one-tenth the amount of shifts on it, right? The clutch in and out, the, the, the synchro's moving, everything. Uh, as far as brakes are concerned forget about the consumables of the brake pads and the rotors but my master cylinder price will one-tenth the amount of full deflection travel on the board the master cylinder the wheel cylinders the calipers <clears throat> everything the thing is that so i just want you to to not fall into the prey into the trap of thinking that high mileage or high hours are necessarily bad and low mileage, low hours are advantageous. You need to go to the next step and see how that piece of equipment was used. You need to be to perform your due diligence. All right. If you say, Well, I know I'm buying this tractor from Harry down the road, and I know he always took care of it and he did this, and when he ran it, he did this to it, and he would work in the field with it and, and what have you, that's fine you're buying something in an auction you could try to extrapolate out and say okay well you know it's three years old that's three thousand mile three thousand hours so they must have put a thousand hours a year on it <clears throat> and so that must have been pretty good use but 
if you really don't know much about the tractor maybe the thing was an auger tractor i mean i don't know so um you know you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis and all i'm hoping to do with this show is to teach you that you need to look beyond numbers and you need to look beyond the hours you need to look beyond the miles and you need to dig a little bit deeper and find out how that piece of equipment was used how it was employed what it was used for and uh for instance i mean you could take like a fire company not, not that you're gonna buy a fire engine but a fire company all right i'm sadly i mean those guys i mean god bless them i mean you know i i mean i i applaud every one of them because you know volunteer fire company they're giving their time and risking their life to potentially help me and i'm doing nothing for them all right nothing whatsoever but the fact if you look at those engines you look at that equipment it's got a lot of um, it's got a lot of years on it has very little hours very little mileage on it and historically they're not that good mechanically they're leaking oil they're doing this they don't run that well it's all because of the things that i've said to you is they've gone through a thousand cold starts or ten thousand cold starts they're they're over on a fire call right they have this diesel engine running to 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 run the pumps it's not building a lot of heat in there it's going it's starting at they're going one mile to a fire half mile all right so but that's the nature of the beast and that is fine that's how it's supposed to be used you're not going to say to somebody oh your house is burning but i'm going to go on route 80 for five miles because i listened to that hot rod farmer and i want to get the oil hot of course not that's ridiculous but the thing is that you just have to be accepting of that if you were to buy it and then understand say hey you know i'm going to have some some what you may quantify as a premature failure on something that you would not say well geez with x amount of hours or miles why did this go the reason why it went was not that it was bad it was the use that was it it was that it was exposed to aged it exponentially and that's what i'm trying to explain to you and uh same thing is if you have somebody with a lawn tractor and the guy's got a little piece of lawn he's got this tractor he runs it for three minutes he cuts five minutes cuts the lawn and never gets the temperature it's sitting always with, with with moisture getting into the into the cylinders or what have you i'd rather have one that was from a landscaper he that he took care of it and it was running all day long or a golf course so i mean and there's things that that are going to wear out on on a high mileage high hour piece of compressor like wheel bearings or something that won't wear out as quickly but the core things the expensive things are things that are going to stop that piece of equipment or that vehicle are, are, are always going to wear at a higher rate when it's not used uh when it's not used uh i don't want to say as it truly was designed to and we'll leave it at that everybody so uh if you have any questions on that please feel free to argue with me fight with me at hot rod farmer at farm but now we're going to bring in tex rubinowitz come on in tex and from ripsaw records Hey, all right, Tex, thank you so much. I was able to take a drink of water, so hopefully my throat will be a little bit better. But Allie has been <clears throat> such a good girl. She's right here, right, I'm moving by paper. Hello, sweetheart. I shouldn't have touched her. She's been a good girl. She's helping Daddy do the podcast today. Right, Allie? Good girl. All right, uh, <clears throat> here's our letter, special delivery, and it, it says, Hi, I'm having some trouble with my 1972 John Deere 4020 with the gasoline engine and for those of you who don't know that the 4020 could have a, had was available to the best of my knowledge with a gasoline engine a diesel engine and a liquid propane lp which would be a modified gasoline engine i think it had more compression in it and obviously a different carburetor and what have you different spark advanced curve but let me start again i'm having some trouble <clears throat> with my 1972 john deere 4020 which was a great tractor i'm adding that with the gas engine 362 cubic inches i believe that they had a 340 originally and they ended up uh, uh making it into a 362 later on it has a breaker point distributor but the last few years it seems to eat points we use it for an auger tractor and other odd jobs 
It is in an excellent condition and only has 9,000 hours. My granddad bought it new. It says, we farm, <clears throat> we farm all green. So for those who are not farmers who are listening, that means that they're John Deere people, all right? So it's the, you identify your brand loyalty in agriculture by the color of the tractor. And in farm tractors, then again, for those who aren't familiar with it, is that you don't get a choice of colors. And, you know, I want to, uh, you know, if you if it's John Deere, it's green. You can't get a black John Deere or a blue one. Uh, we've, we are all green, and we run about 12,000 acres. So the old 4020 is excellent for grain cart and work and other odd tasks. It always starts up, except when the points burn up. Thanks, and that's George Asset. A-S-S-E-T, and I do not know where he's from. Well, the thing is that there's a couple of things that come into mind here. And and for those who are, are, that are listening, even if you don't have a John Deere tractor, what I'm basically saying is going to be applied to any breaker point ignition. I don't care whether it's a little old lady from Pasadena, right? Started out with her, well, then with her with a 64 Dodge 426 Cross Ram, or, uh, or whether it's a 1972 40, 20 John Deere or anything else in between. It makes no difference. The breaker points don't know what it is in. Now, whenever you... <clears throat> now, he didn't... Now, um, Mr. George, Mr. Asset, you didn't tell me whether you changed anything recently on that tractor. Now, in essence, every breaker point ignition system is going to have to have some sort of resistor circuit. So it's going to crank on full battery voltage and i'm talking about a 12 volt system it was this was not a six volt tractor but older six volt cars trucks tractors did not use a resistant have a resistor to step down the voltage and what basically happened is that what happens is that on a 12 volt system will stick with that it will crank on full battery voltage and i'm not saying it's 12 volts because the battery could be at 11.2 volts 11.7 if it's weak so we say full charging system voltage is the why we use that term in the industry so it's going to crank on that and then as soon as the key is released or start a button whatever it has it's going to bypass bypass and it's going to go through some sort of resistor now the resistor could be external the resistor the resistor could be a resistance wire or the resistor can sometimes be as part of the primary windings in the coil and so um the thing is that if you're starting to burn up points what you need to do is you need to check the voltage with put a new set of points in it check the voltage with the tractor running and then it could just be idling and you want to check the voltage going to the positive because it's a 12 volt system towards the positive the positive terminal of the coil and you could do this on a 63 dodge it doesn't make any difference 72 ford all right i'm repeating it because i want people to think this is a john Deere diagnostic step and you want to check the voltage going to the coil all right the thing is that when it's running it should be probably seven to nine volts depending upon the resistor circuit if you're having 12 volts for well most charging circuits 72 it should have an alternator probably around 14 5 14.6 volts if you got 14 volts going into the coil then what is basically happening is that it's not stepping the voltage down and that is why the points are burning because they're carrying too much electrical power i'll say that current actually all right uh and that's why they are burning because the purpose of stepping the 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 voltage down to the coil is to extend the point life so that's one thing the other thing basically <coughs> is that i'm assuming and i may be wrong and that <coughs> excuse me <coughs> is that you know then again it gets back to this what i was saying what the what the subject of the show was you know hours miles use what have you a lot of people and were guilty of and still are of replacing the points but not replacing the condenser now the points and the condenser should go together the purpose of the condenser is to be able to absorb the excess energy and then dissipate it all right as the points start to break up but the points don't arc and the condenser's capacity its ability so it's a volume let's say like you say a gallon of, a gallon jug of milk 
or a, a quart of a quart of something, a quart of oil, is read in microfads. So as the condenser gets older, its capacity to absorb energy in microfads usually diminishes. So what may be happening, <coughs> excuse me, is that the condenser may be starting to fail now or the condenser may be made incorrectly very very common uh, especially with all this stuff coming from china and, and and what have you that it looks like it looks like it's right it looks like everything but you don't know the capacity of it so the thing is that it was very common with breakup points of people say i'll just put new points in the condenser is fine because they don't see the condenser because there's no moving parts so they think it's fine it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't wear out so so that's something to keep in mind all right and if you are changing the condenser you may be getting a condenser that's made incorrectly the problem is that you really can't check a condenser with an ohmmeter and get a true microfads capacity of it all right so you have to try to buy a name brand part and hopefully that it's right all right the other thing so we're talking about the voltage coming to the coil we're talking about the condenser the other thing basically if over the years you changed the ignition coil and usually sometimes you may have gone to excuse me my my throat is clogging up on me <clears throat> an auto parts store or tractor supply place say, here it is here it is joe is the right coil looks right and everything so you need to get a john deere specification book and i'm sure you could find one and you need to check the get the proper specification for the primary and secondary resistance of the coil but specifically the primary and you would read that with the key off and disconnect the wires from the coil positive and negative and just put an ohmmeter across the two terminals the positive and negative terminal and see whether what the primary resistance is then again it's very very common for you to have a replacement coil that has the wrong primary resistance the other thing that's coming into play is that are you know are the breaker points that you're buying any good and uh remember breaker points are just a switch on and off but the fact of the matter is is that if they're made from the wrong material the wrong metals all right then they are going to wear excessively because they are a switch they are carrying electricity so that is another thing that to come into play and the third and the, i don't know, i haven't been counting them and another possibility is that if the distributor bushing is worn and the points are moving around that they will have a tendency probably to wear more but they will have a tendency to arc more and it could be arcing and you may not be able to glean that with the way the engine runs but then again cumulatively over time that that would uh cause them to burn on one side one one area instead of burning uniformly uh years ago <clears throat> and i used to have some good textbooks and i tried to find it but i couldn't find it before i did the show is that there was a lot of there was some diagnostics of, of on which side of the points burned would give you an idea of where the problem is but uh but the thing is that from what my gut is telling me is that i would not be surprised if it's got a the wrong microfads capacity uh condenser even though if it's new and or it has an it has an ignition coil that has the wrong primary resistance and the third thing possibly is that i doubt very much if it's the charging voltage oh you say it's a beautiful tractor not that charging voltage that that, that you didn't bypass the resistance wire or the resistance circuit so i would say it probably has uh or the uh points are just junk so i would start with those diagnostics find out what the primary resistance of the coil is supposed to be measure yours measure the, measure the voltage going to the coil and if you have not changed the condenser uh for a while <clears throat> always change the condenser and points together like bacon and eggs but if not then i don't know where you've been getting the parts from but i would probably go to john deere and see if you could still get a tune-up kit for that with the points and condenser doesn't not necessarily mean that they're going to be much better years ago they were much better i don't know who they're getting from today but you but i would tend to think that a company like john deere or ford or what have you is that they are going to look for a higher quality standard than a 
you know, a, a place that's selling old tractor parts or uh, a big box retailer like Rural King <coughs> or Tractor Supply, nothing against them. But they're not quality assuring anything. They just, whatever the people tell them, they say, this is the best quality in the world and they're just going to take it and put it on the shelf and sell it. But in essence, the points are, the points are usually burning because of their being fed too high a voltage and they cannot take it and they have a short service life so any questions or let me know what you find out with that just email me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com well it's time for me to say goodbye this week and i want to thank you so much for tuning in and for clicking in for listening and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america and I'm, hey, I'm very proud of my little alley, my little alligator. She was great during the show. She caused no problems. Bye-bye. You have a blessed day. I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.